Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined today by psychotherapist and licensed marriage and family counselor, Elizabeth Miller. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I am personally so happy that you're here because therapy has played such a huge role in my life from actually a very young age, and especially when I had my two children and continues to be a huge part of my life. You specialize in the birth experience and in maternal health, which is something that's so valuable and so rare. Um, Most people don't really understand why it is that the birth experience is so important to women and pregnant women. I think we're looked at as crazy because we want to have a home birth or a birth in a hospital that goes in a very specific kind of way. And we're just now starting to understand why it is so important to women to have some kind of control um, over their birth experience and how a traumatizing birth experience can negatively affect them postpartum. You speak with women in your practice who have experienced that trauma, whether they went into birth and had an unexpected unexpected C-section or they had a vaginal delivery and things just didn't go the way that they wanted to and they got home and they were in shock and feeling traumatized. So I think it's so wonderful that you do what you do. I think we need more people who have access to the services that you offer. So I'm super excited to talk to you today about how um, you are working with women um, who experience postpartum depression, baby blues, and what you've learned from that. You're pregnant now with your second child. So congratulations. Thank you. And um, I just wanted to talk about, you know, my own experiences with therapy, um, postpartum and prepartum, way pre-prepartum. I uh, went to my first therapist when I was in seventh grade. Most people don't know this about me. That's younger than most were back in the 90s when I was in seventh grade, or not the 90s, the early 2000s, rather. Um, But now it's probably more common. My parents were probably were about to get divorced, and I didn't know that. So I was sent to this therapist who was under the guise of you know, giving me um, tests for ADD and tests for my IQ. And and really, she was my therapist. No one would tell me why I was going to her, but I loved talking to her every day. And she made me feel so special and cared for. And she was really an angel in my life, even though I ended up moving away. I lived in New Jersey at the time, and I moved to Houston. And um, even though I ended up moving away from her, she was always this voice in the back of my head telling me how, like, how loved I was and how special I was and how smart I was. And I really needed that at the time. And it was later on in my life um, that I realized some of the trauma, I'm looking at the word trauma now on <laughs> Elizabeth's notes, some of the trauma <laughs> that I'd experienced as a result of um, some of the situations that occurred when I was in seventh grade and before that, um, were still affecting me. And I continued to pursue a relationship with a therapist at that point. Um, And again, when I got pregnant with my daughter, Selma, um, many of the things that I grew up with were things that I didn't want to perpetuate into my own, into raising my own children. And it became very overwhelming to me um, how concerned and how scared I was of perpetuating those things. So I saw another therapist at that time. And again, after the birth of both of my children, as I did have baby blues and PPD with both of them. It's been such an invaluable resource in my life. I'm very open about talking about it because I I want more women to have access to these services without shame. Um, Shame is a block. Money is a block. Access and availability to practitioners is a block. But if shame is a block, just know there's nothing wrong with you. Um, And it's more than okay to get help. So one of those helpers is Elizabeth Miller. Elizabeth, again, thank you for being here. And tell us more just about your work. Um, with women 
who are experiencing postpartum depression and who have some kind of birth trauma and what you're learning from that. Uh, Well, I'm just so grateful to be here and be able to share this space with you today. I specialize in maternal health and trauma. And a majority of what I do in my practice is hold space for women who are either trying to conceive or have already conceived, um, prepping for birth and postpartum. That is a majority of what I do. Um, And, you know, the experience of motherhood is so unique. The experience of becoming a mother, the experience of birth is something that, you know, I personally struggled for a long time to even put into words. And so I think as women, having a space where we can go and just talk and process all that it means to become a mother, all that it means to um, go through a birth experience is so valuable. And like you said, you had your own experience, um, which I'm so happy to hear that, you know, you're on the other side of it and you've come out doing what you're doing now. Um, but you know, a lot of women suffer and they suffer for a long time in silence. Profoundly. So, I mean, I encounter women all the time and I can feel the pain cause I've experienced it mm. and to be there for so long. It's not something that just ends. Time does not heal all wounds. No, not at all. No. And the stigma, like you talked about, um, is something that is so big in our culture. And while I think there is a lot more talk about postpartum depression, or postpartum anxiety or baby blues, I think that we still have a significant gap in supporting women through that process of healing. Significant. And also, you know, I find I did get help for PPD with both of my kids, but there's something bigger um, that I I know I'm experiencing now. It's a transformation of your identity every time you have a kid. It's not just, okay, I'm going to talk to a therapist for a few weeks and get on an antidepressant and I'm just going to be okay. It is gigantic. It is enormous. It's something that I'm still experiencing saying, who am I now? Because I'm not who I was. Like it's the person that I was doesn't exist anymore. And it was involuntary in a lot of ways. I wasn't upset about who I was, (laughs) but you can't go back. You know, you can't go back and you're transformed. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm completing my dissertation in the hypnosis assisted birth experience and my mentor, um, Dr. Walker Ladd, who I'm happy to give a shout out to, she studies, um, the transformation of women, Um, who have experienced postpartum depression. And so just being able to follow in her footsteps and learn from her and, you know, be with these women who are experiencing this complete transformation that it's, like I said, I'm a psychotherapist. I talk for a living. I listen for a living. But I still struggle putting words to my own birth experience. And I think it's just one of those things that it's a journey. It's a dynamic journey that we have to continue to work through. And as our kids grow up, it's still a journey. Well, it has to be so amazing for you to have had your first child is how old now? She'll be two in February. And you're pregnant and you're expecting in a few months. Yes, so due in April. You've been able to have these experiences while, like simultaneously while you're working with these patients. Yes. So you really know firsthand what it's like. And you forget too. I mean, like I had one child and got through this brand, I feel like of postpartum depression. And then I got like a different kind. Like I had Violet and I was blissfully happy. I thought that the moms who said that they were on a bliss cloud after having a baby were totally full of SHIT because I don't want to censor my podcast on the, you have to like mark (laughs) it as explicit if you curse. So I'm trying to like not do that. Um, But anyway, um, I really thought they were full of it for lack of a better term. And I I ended up having Violet and I had that blissful feeling. I mean, I was just on a bliss cloud. I was so happy. And um, 
things kind of kept happening um, on the side, like tiny little traumas, health issues. It was one thing after the next combined with sleep deprivation. I ended up with this very intense anxiety that I just like have, I've never had anxiety like this before. I would be driving in my car and I would be overwhelmed with panic for seemingly no reason. Yes. Um, and that was why I ended up seeking help with her. And it was just two, as I call them, two different brands of postpartum depression. And it's so hard to put words to what you're experiencing because it's something you've never experienced before. So getting help for it is hard because you don't even know you have a problem. Like I was just like, Laura, you know, you need to drink more magnesium or calm down or what's going on with you. And there is so much out there that would so gladly convince you that it's something you're doing wrong. Yes. And I want to kind of highlight what you said earlier about each birth experience and each postpartum experience being completely different. I just want to normalize that because, you know, I have women sitting in my office who went through one birth and experienced nothing and had that blissful feeling that you described was crazy, which is normal too. Um, And I think it's so vital that, you know, I have the same woman a couple years later come in and say, I can't do this. This is too hard. I don't know what happened. Why is this so different? And and shame themselves because they did it once and then they couldn't do it again in their words Um, or vice versa. You know, the first time was just terrible and I couldn't get through it. I didn't think I was going to be able to wake up, you know, the next day. And then the next experience is completely different, whether it's, you know, better or worse. It's up to the mom. But really, it's it's about each experience being completely different and that's totally okay. So let's talk about the experience that leads into the postpartum experience, which is the birth experience. What do we know about why the way we have our children is important to us? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, the birth experience is that, it's that transition. It's the transition from this idea of becoming a mother and nurturing our baby with their inside of us and to becoming this full-fledged family where, you know, we give birth and then we go home with this baby, hopefully. We're welcoming Um, an entirely different human into our home, into our marriage. Oh, and the dynamic is just instantly just changed. Yeah. Um, And so this birth experience, which I in particular study, um, what we know is it's transformative and it's transformative in different ways for so many different women. But one of the things, one of the commonalities that I'm finding in my research is that choice is a big component of birth satisfaction and birth experience satisfaction. So tell Um, us more about that. So, you know, if any woman who has given birth um, can probably look back at their birth experience and a majority of us can look back and say, that didn't go the way I thought it would. Of Um, course, the birth plan, the mysterious birth plan that never goes the right way. Totally. Um, And while, you know, I think we can do better as healthcare professionals in really listening to women and providing a humanistic approach, meaning, you know, taking into consideration their wants and desires and needs. um, I think that things don't always go the way that we need them to. And what what are we left with when they don't? Um, Right. And so I think that this birth experience, no matter what women go through, is transformative in nature on so many levels that are so hard to describe. So let's talk about the experience which you deal with quite frequently, which is the woman who goes into having a baby thinking everything's going to be okay. Maybe she has a plan, but maybe she doesn't. And then she ends up with a C-section and is traumatized from that C-section. What what are you finding in those types of cases? You know, what I'm finding is that it's very common for women to come and sit down in my office and say, 
I'm healthy. Medically speaking, everything went perfectly. You know, I didn't get the birth that I wanted, but I ended up with a C-section or I ended up with something else. And, you know, everyone's telling me that it's perfect. Baby's healthy. I'm healthy. Great. Everything then therefore should be healthy. And I have women sitting in my office saying, you know, on the outside, everything should be great, but it didn't go the way that I needed it to. It wasn't a healing experience like I expected it to be. And there's grief for that loss. Like you have so many expectations around what your birth's going to be like. So much grief and so much rearranging of our thoughts of what birth was or what birth is and what being a mother is. You know, I do have, well, I think having a C-section is more normalized and having epidurals or whatever it is, any intervention is normalized. Um, You know, I really focus on the mom and their individual needs and desires. You also focus on functional nutrition and nurturing the whole person, the whole mother, if you will. There's much more than just um, the postpartum care that should be involved, like the mental care that is involved in the post in postpartum care. There's also physical, um, pelvic floor issues, endocrine issues. What what do you have to say about all that and how you help women in those areas? Oh my gosh! So Elizabeth Miller therapy was born because I was working in and out of different psych hospitals, different recovery centers, and I noticed that. We have so much neuroscience. We know so much about the brain. Um, But there is a significant gap in this mind-body approach. I was about to say, do we? Because I don't know what we know. Because as a woman, I feel so in the dark. I am doing my own research constantly. What's going on with my body? I'm even emailing my doctors and like, no one really knows what's going on. And I'm like, do we not know anything about this because we're women? Is that why you can't help me? Because it feels like so many women have experienced having a baby and somebody should be able to tell me what's going on with my body right now. Nobody knows. Yes. And that's such a common experience. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the medical field, we work in silos. We work, you know, the neuroscience field is the neuroscience field. The OB-GYN field is the OB-GYN field. And it does such a disservice to moms. Um, my PhD is in integrative medicine. Um, and so our focus is mind-body connection. So Elizabeth Miller therapy was born from needing that to fill that gap of the mind-body connection. You know, you can't have one without the other. Like you can't have mental wellness without physical wellness. I don't believe we can. And in, you know, my own recovery of um, recovering from a C-section that I did not want was a full body healing too, right? This was mental, physical, spiritual for me, particularly. Um, not only are you left with a scar that hurts or a wound that hurts, you're left with all these thoughts and disappointments and judgments, um, and comments, you know, I think that are well-meaning, but at the same time can be really hurtful. I remember feeling like my whole, I would tell people my bones hurt. That was how I felt after I had a baby. Like the nutrients had been so sucked from my bones that they were hurting me all the time. Like my ribs. (laughs) I was just an, and I remember like getting my first massage after Salma was born, like three months later or something. And the woman just being so concerned about the state of my back. And I was like, well, what was I supposed to be doing? Because I'm bouncing a baby around and I have to take care of her and I'm the only one doing it. And I don't know what my alternative is other than to have a really messed up back. Is there someone that's going to come fix it for me? And preparing, even just knowing how to prepare, you know, for postpartum. Right. That's a huge thing. We don't talk enough about, you know, pelvic floor therapists, psychotherapists, people who, you know, endocrinologists or even acupuncturists. You know, I had to go to see it. I went to I chose to go see an acupuncturist because I had a lot of um, scar site pain and it changed my life. It, I had no idea. I was like, okay, I, 
I get to break up this scar tissue and I don't have to be in constant pain. Now oh, I'm listening great. to you thinking maybe I have that too with my C-section. I mean like the skin around my scar is still numb. Like yes. there's so many things that you don't know. Like I'm going to lose feeling in this area of my stomach like for the rest of my life. There's just stuff that nobody tells you and it's huge and you just get sent home from the hospital and it's like here you go. Mazel tov on the baby. Like, yes. there's no, <laughs> there's nothing else. You're laughing. She's like laughing kind of yes. silently, but yes, but also I, I have a friend on Facebook who's a pelvic floor specialist oh, and she amazing. posted something like she posted something on Facebook the other day about how, like when you use the restroom, like you should never be pushing to pee yes, and that like it should take at least eight seconds, like for all of your urine to come out. Like if you're just tinkling a little bit, like you shouldn't have gone to the bathroom in the first place basically, or felt like you needed to. And that's usually an indication that you need pelvic floor therapy. Yes. I was like, oh, because I do all the things you just told me I wasn't supposed to be doing. And they all started after I had my first kid. So maybe I need help in this area, but nobody besides this person on Facebook who I don't even know how I ended up being friends with her um, pointed that out to me. And I feel like I'm always getting this random information, um, which is how I end up finding my guests for this show. Cause I'm like, tell me what you know. Yes. And you know, my hope is, you know, I, I co-manage a group called Houston wellness warriors so that our main focus is to connect and educate um, practitioners in this area. So that when someone comes and sits in my office and I'm screening them for a variety of different, you know, mind body conditions during labor, delivery, or even pregnancy or, you know, trying to conceive couples, um, I'm able to say, hey, you know, I think it's important that we also get this person's opinion and that we get a second opinion on this um, so that your quality of life can be returned and you can be living the life that you want to be living. Exactly. And we should all be empowered to do that. Um, the first guest I had on the show was Jenna Longoria. She is the period guru. Love her. And uh, she talks about how our cycle is an indicator of what is right or wrong in our body. And for me, you know, I when I was diagnosed with PPD after Violet was born, I've been put on Lexapro. I'm grateful for what it's given me and my state of mind. But I'm also thinking, hey, you know, my cycle has been completely messed up since she was born. And there has to be some connection between that and the way that I'm feeling. They're not separate, but you either go to the psychiatrist or you go to the OB, getting those two things integrated and talking to somebody about the whole issue. I'm like, Hey, I know that I'm, I know these two things are related to each other. There's something going on in my body. There's a hormonal imbalance. Somebody help me. It's so hard to find someone who does all of that. Oh, well, and on top of that, you're exhausted. Yeah. You're like tired. You my husband will be like, you have to make this a doctor's appointment. You have to. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to eat breakfast. Like I can't even think about this. You I can't know? even think about getting myself <laughs> dressed, the kid dressed, and then getting in my car and then driving. What? Yeah. I, I can't do that. Yeah. And then everyone's like, you know, you have to take care of yourself. And I'm like, I'm trying. Like, what am I supposed to be doing this? And we're looking at self-care in this society. I just want to talk about this for a minute. I've mentioned this on my social media. Self-care has become this industry of face masks and spa days and getting your nails done. And when I first heard the term self-care, I was in therapy at age 16 and no one knew what that term meant. And it was none of those things. It was being in the conversation and speaking up for yourself. It was doing the hard thing. It was setting a boundary. It was staying home when you really want to go out because you need sleep. It was doing the thing that's uncomfortable because you matter more than anything else. And I am so frustrated watching it turn into this almost like this game. Like if I don't 
do this treatment or whatever. Like I'm not taking good enough care of myself. I see women all the time, myself included. They have a baby. They don't have time for that shit. And no one's watching their kid when they're going to get a mani-pedi. No. And they're like, oh, here's one more thing I can't do well enough. Like, you know what? The self-care in that moment is to accept yourself exactly as you are because you are good enough. Totally. And I hear this, you know, women sit down in my office or and men, everyone sits down in my office and says, I don't have time to go do all this stuff. And my first response to them is tell me more about that because self-care doesn't look like what you just described. And I think it's kind of been this culture in our, our society lately where, you know, you have to have no kids around to have self-care or you, you know, you can't do this and that and have self-care and self-care, you know, I'll give a personal example for me is um, cooking dinner. Or eating nutritious food. Um, something that I do while I'm pregnant is I cook on Sundays. I meal prep. I love to cook. It's something that is just something that it's my creative outlet. It is my stress reduction. Um, I involve my kid in it. And on Sundays, you know, when we have time, we make some meals for the week and I make too much and I freeze some so that when this new baby comes, you know, there's some food in the fridge or the freezer. Brilliant. Um, or it can even just look like, you know, this morning I woke up and um, I just noticed how pretty it was outside. And I took my dogs outside and my daughter and we just sat in the sun for a few minutes. Like I got some vitamin D, we got to connect. I threw the ball for my dog. And like, that was so nourishing for me. Yeah. Everything you need is like right outside your door and you usually don't have to pay for it. Yes. I, I do fear that like self-care has kind of become this industry where like, hey, I have $40 in my checking account. I'm going to spend 35 on a mani-pedi because that's the right thing to do. And like, it's not. <laughs> and There's a whole industry out there trying to tell you that that's what you should be doing. And I think there's a difference in really knowing ourselves. I think the, the unique part of therapy in the therapeutic space is it opens up conversation and awareness of what we actually need as people. Yeah. Every single person needs something different. And if we can become aware of what our needs are, like I know personally that I have to have time outside, um, you know, f- at least a few times a week, I need to be able to connect with nature in some way. Um, and so that makes it really easy for me to fill my self care cup because I can't give from an empty cup. I, you know, I'm the same way. I need nature and I have a, such a hard time getting out in the city because it's either freezing. And by that, I mean 50, but I'm not prepared for it because I don't have the clothes or it's humid and hot. Like, where do you go when you go outside? So funny you ask I'm actually from Minnesota and okay, so, so this is cold like, weather for me yeah. I welcome <laughs> um but you know the heat I've I've gotten used to it over the years but you know even if I'm just sitting I have a big window in my living room which I love um I love natural light yes I sit and I read in that natural light and for me that is a game changer that's so different than being holed up in my office by myself right you know in this lonely space um, well it's also just slowing down my husband has been on my case for five years he just won this huge battle to take the tv out of the bedroom we have Ah. no tv in the bedroom anymore I've had about three weeks of withdrawals and now I'm finally coming around and seeing that it actually is better for everyone mazel I'm very excited but I I've gotten more into reading and it's not just the reading it's the slowing down it's the being in my when I'm in my home it's a slow place this is not where all the noise is this is not where the chaos is we make coffee it's slow we've been playing Scrabble my husband and I my three-year-old is not old enough for this but it's gotten us to do more things like that there's only one tv in the house now so when we watch it we're watching it together it's so much more intentional 
Um, these are hard things to do, man. But um, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of describe self care as really doing the hard, uncomfortable thing um, if it's totally. the thing that's better for you. And maybe you know, part of anyone that something that all of us can do is trying to make our home a self care haven, yeah. somewhere that we walk into, and you know, we feel good when we walk in. Right. It's really hard, you know. Right now, we are installing cabinets in every single. Um, we built this house and we moved in and I didn't want to put any storage in before we moved huh. in because I wanted to see, I wanted to live in it and see how it worked. Well, now just, you need the storage. Kids will do that. Right. And so we are installing these shelves and these closets and things like that. And so everything in my house is completely in the middle of the living room or in the middle of my office. And it was so interesting. You know, I was um, talking with a friend about chaotic living and yeah. how it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And this morning I woke up and I was like, I'm ready for this project to be over because this doesn't make my home feel safe. This makes my home feel chaotic. It's amazing how the things we do in our house can change the way it feels to us. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So tell me more about how your practice as a psychotherapist and a marriage and family counselor has affected the way you operate with your kids and with your family. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm a researcher and I'm a clinician. And so half my week is spent working directly with clients and half my week is spent nose deep in research. And, you know, something that I've learned is that actually parenting, you know, real parenting, authentic parenting takes so much work and it takes practice and it takes authenticity and it takes patience and mindfulness. Um, it takes this mindful awareness of being able to sit down with, you know, in my case, my two-year-old and really being able to identify her needs while simultaneously being a wife, a mom, a business owner, and a PhD student, and it all these other lot. things. Yeah. And so I think for me, my training has been a lot in mindfulness-based awareness, um, self-compassion therapy, things like that. And so I feel really grateful to have these tools at my disposal. But something that I value the most, I think, is just hearing my clients' stories. I feel so honored to be able to sit across from these families, these people, these women, and hear their stories. Um, because I learn something new every single day. I can I imagine that also makes you feel so much less alone when you like snap or have a moment or your kids throw it having a meltdown because you know that other people are experiencing the same kinds of frustrations. Oh my gosh. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to get emotional because like my clients are just, you know, they're so amazing and they put in the work. They're so authentic. And I get to sit back with all these tools and skills. And I also get to know that my life is normal. Yeah. <laughs> all the things that are going on with my two-year-old and the chaos of just being a mom and all the things, you know, all the hats that I wear, it's, it's normal to feel um, stressed and it's normal to need help. It's normal to feel support. Um, I shout, you know, let's go get therapy from the rooftops because yeah. it, it's a game changer, you know, and um, I don't know how we live without it. I don't know either. Honestly, I don't either. My, my three-year-old, you know, she's an incredibly picky eater. And this has been a point of frustration for me since day one. Our joke is now, you know, our daughter Violet, who's nine months old, is eating like cheeseburger like she'll eat anything you put in front of her and Selma's eating the back stock of baby food that I bought for Violet <laughs> that she won't eat because that's all Selma wants is like the pouches and the teethers and they basically like just completely switched foods so especially if we keep Selma out like past her bedtime the food thing gets way out of hand because we're just like off schedule and she wants snacks and like it's harder to put a boundary down that she can't have one at a certain time of night so she went to the zoo with her dad last night 
or two nights ago. And last night she was still kind of exhausted from the experience and cranky as a result and wasn't eating her dinner. And I was super frustrated and she was like demanding a snack from her bedroom, which I had promised I wasn't going to do. And dad came home and we talked about it and we just decided like, she's not going to go to sleep because she's hungry if she doesn't have a snack. So we make this snack to, to bring her. And I look at my husband and I am just so frustrated because neither one of us has slept very well for like the last four days. Oh. Violet's teething. And I was like, we just have to start doing things differently around here. This isn't going to work. And he was like, Laura, he started laughing. He goes, I think we're doing a really good job. And like our kid wants a snack at like nine o'clock at night. Like, let's not be so hard on ourselves. And I was like, yeah, we are. We're doing a really good job. Like she wants to eat. She wants to eat Ritz sandwiches in her bed. But like there are worse things. And And like I'm so like. If it makes her happy. There have to be other parents of three year olds who are going through this. Like there's just this feeling that like you're the only one with a kid who's screaming for Ritz cracker sandwiches at nine o'clock at night. Oh, totally. I mean, my my almost two year old last night was like, pouch, pouch. I'm like, what about dinner? Pouch. Pouch. I'm like, okay. Okay. okay great you know if that's what's going to make you happy and calm your central nervous system down let's do it right I thank you I like that it's all about calming down the central nervous system I don't think there's any benefit to a kid getting that worked up then we're also told as parents though that we need to put our foot down and like it is just such a hard line to to toe and I think that kind of goes back to my tagline which if any of my clients are listening will laugh because I always say how can we connect before we correct Right. Because if we're really talking about parenthood and connecting with our kids, which I think we all want to do, if we can really identify the need that's really there. And like you said, a small snack. okay, that's a small need. We can we can make that happen. And if that allows us to connect more, then it's worth it. Um, And that's going to look different every single day of our lives. And so it's a snack today. Right. It's so hard to identify. But I think if we keep practicing with our kids and our spouses and you know, I, with people in our lives, how can we connect before we correct or shame or, you know, give judgment? I think that we start to be able to live more authentically and closer to the people that we love. So going back to what you were talking about in postpartum care, you mentioned to me before we started talking on the recording here that about 10 to 15% of women um, experience postpartum depression, according to one study, but you think it's probably higher. Right. And so the current information that's out there, one being the Cleveland Clinic, um, recently said that there's about 10 to 15% of women who go from baby blues to full on postpartum depression. Um, I think that number might be higher. For one, I think that maybe we're not screening well enough. And I think there's a lot of women who go untreated um, and unsupported. And so really, we're looking at the people who are treated or or supported um, in that statistic. And it also leaves out a variety of other perinatal mood disorders, such as perinatal um, postpartum bipolar um, and postpartum anxiety and postpartum I didn't even psychosis. know postpartum di- bipolar was a thing. Yes. That's so interesting. Right. And so we have we have these a variety of perinatal mood disorders that can manifest um, for a variety of reasons after we give birth or maybe even during pregnancy. And so I think it's very important that we have, you know, these screenings and that we have resources for women. So when someone comes comes down with or experiences rather um, a postpartum mood disorder, is the recovery from that ongoing or like, are we seeing cases where someone who has a case of depression or as you were saying, bipolar, for example, bipolar is something that never goes away. Is it something that goes away or is it something that we're always dealing with? Like what does treatment for these disorders look like? 
you know, it's very different in each case. And so I'm hesitant to make a blanket statement. But what we do know with perinatal mood disorders is that a lot of them can be temporary with the right help. Um, And so, you know, you've said that you've dealt with PPD, PPA, things like that. Um, And I I don't like to tell women that this is a life sentence because I don't believe it is. Right. Um, I think with the right tools, the right support, whatever that means for that individual, sometimes that means psychotherapy, Sometimes that means a combination of psychotherapy, medication, um, and maybe other support systems too, that I believe we can get through that. And a lot of the women that I work with, you know, get better. Most of them get better. Um, Some, it takes a little bit longer, but, and maybe it requires some lifestyle change and maybe some interpersonal conflict resolution. There's a lot of conversation right now about medication in this country. Um, A lot of people really don't trust the pharmaceutical companies. There's a lot of, there are a lot of antidepressant prescriptions out there. If you look at the numbers, they're staggering. I'm also someone who's thrived on them and I've been very resistant to taking them because I'm like, I don't want to be a statistic and I don't need this and I'm fine and I can work this out on my own. And then ultimately they've been something that have really helped me. So where do you stand with that? Like, are are we over-prescribing? Is this something that we need? Are we looking at it the wrong way? You know, I think it goes back to working in silos. I think that women, particularly in the perinatal stage, thrive when we use the support that they need, whatever that might be at the time. That doesn't mean that you go on a medication and you have to stay on it forever. I do think that there is a subset of our population that believes that that is necessary. Um, But in my clinical practice, you know, I've seen that women sometimes just need some temporary support or help. um, And that's okay, too. And so I come from the stance of I'm very grateful that we have all of these tools at our disposal whether they are psychotherapy, whether they are medication, whether they are, like I said earlier, acupuncture or something else. Right. Um, I'm really grateful that we have those two are available to us. Um, each woman is different and each woman, I think, knows deep down what they really, really need help with. And I so agree with that. We are our own best advocate. Yeah. And if I can sit there and support them in whatever they choose um, and help them connect the dots and help support them through that process, whatever that means to them. I think that's where we start changing this stigma. And I think that's where we start really seeing results. You are so awesome. I'm so grateful to have had you on the show, Elizabeth. Oh, thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to learn more about Elizabeth Miller therapy, how can they contact you? Yes. So they can go to my website, which is elizabethmillertherapy.com. I also have Instagram, which is Elizabeth Miller therapy. And you can follow along for just helpful daily tips and um, resources. Fantastic. Thank you again. You've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I hope you'll subscribe, tell your friends, and join us next time. We'll talk to you soon. Mom, mom, mom.